Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where we explore the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters. That's right, Danny. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? I'm good, um, I, but I'd like your input on something. Oh, I love this. So, you know, I'm, I'm a bit sensitive to the ambiance in a restaurant, as uh, yep. discussed previously. I think we all are. Yeah, right? we had some fantastic ambiance a couple nights ago. You and I? <laughs> or you did? No, we both did. Oh, yeah, that's right. We went and had a meal up at Con uh, Barbecue. <laughs> that's with, right. Uh, so good. Ronnie Kaplan and Mike Sula, um, friends of the pod. Yeah, Tim's maiden voyage to a Chicago classic. It's true. Um, we try to grab dinner once a month, and uh, I'm, I'm the newcomer to the crew, which I really appreciate. I enjoy eating with these guys. But I got to say, we've had quite a few misses in a row, and I think we, kindly, we finally broke that. Yeah, the streak has been broken. Yeah, the bad streak's been broken. Con delivered. Yeah, so Very good. delicious meal, but very funky ambiance. Yeah. A little lighting in there is wild. It is great. But it's kind of what you want. It's, uh, yeah. No It's frills. a hidden gem. Like low to no frills. Yeah. We also went to, uh, was it Carrie's? Yeah. The bar yeah, for a cool. drink before. I like that spot, too. It was a good one, too. Yeah, kind of a wild glory hole situation. <laughs> <of> the bathroom <laughs> door. Did you see yeah, that? Yeah, that was. Nuts. Like a very elaborate uh, <laughs> elfish thing. <laughs> really weird oh man <laughs> anyway someone's gonna chime in who's been there and is you know yeah understand. if you know you know if you've been there you know what exactly what i'm talking about um but on the topic of ambiance uh, i've done this thing i don't know that i've done it with you but i've been wearing my sunglasses at night i've seen you do that i mean well you used to wear well you didn't wear full sunglasses you wore lenses that were colored i guess i do have Separate transition things. lens like eyeglasses yeah um, I don't really like to wear those cause they don't fully untransition when you're indoors. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think I like that. But wait, you wear full sunglasses at night. I have full sunglasses that I wear at night. Like celebrity style. Celebrity style. That's exactly what it is. Now that I'm wow. a hot vocal, <laughs> but, uh, they're yellow lenses. Okay. So they're not, okay. Yeah. So they're not like, they're not dark. Like you can see my eyes. They're yellow. They're like pretty, they're like amber almost. So they're vibe correctors. They're vibe correctors. That's exactly why I wear them. And I, I like it because you know, like there's nothing worse than cold light. Yeah. I, I hate you. cold light and you can't control the light. And when I'm, I, every time I take the sunglasses off, if, because they're yellow, they create like warm light. It's very warm. It looks like it looks almost like a sepia. Like, yeah, you know, that's like nice. season two of um, White Lotus. Yep. Or maybe even, no, maybe it's season one. Everything's like kind of sepia. Yeah, like you're sepia looking, tone. yeah, like you're looking at the show through sunglasses like you're there on the beach. Hmm. It's kind of a nice effect. Yeah, um, so you've created it. I've created it for myself, but I'm, I can't go back because every time I take them off, it's I like look around harsh. the room, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> Especially like in the gray Chicago winter. Yeah. It uh, it well, just makes it like a winter cheat writer. code. Yeah, hmm. it's a winter cheat code. Interesting. So I I'm wondering if you have any um, judgment. Uh, no, I mean if it works for you and you enjoy the aesthetic, the augmented reality. <laughs> Will you join cool. me? I would try it. I mean, but I'm now I'm a little worried. You said you can't go back. I don't know if I want to. I don't. Do but the thing is, I don't want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> like I've corrected the vibe. <laughs> Yeah, every restaurant good. looks like a soda cough restaurant to me now. Yeah, I would try it. It's out. great. Yeah, I yeah. try it. But the problem for you is you have prescriptions, so you yeah, gotta really commit. Yeah, I could wear. I mean, I have sunglasses, but yeah, I'd have to get these are special sunglasses that are just yellow toned. Yeah, and uh, I actually ordered some rose tinted ones also that are oh, on the way. I haven't gotten out. them yet. All right, nice. I don't know that that'll be as effective, but I'm willing to try. Yeah, 
So, Very cool. Anyway, yeah. On the topic of uh, vibe checks and ambiance and restaurants, our guest this week, you've likely, you may have seen his work, but for sure, if you've dined out in Chicago, you've heard his work. Uh, we had Matt Edgar on, the owner of Pineapple Audio, who does like very, uh, very intentional sound yeah. design in Bespoke spaces. Sound design. Yeah. Um, so based in Chicago, uh, he's done work all over the world. Um, he's living in Dallas now, opening a second uh, office. But uh, he he works with interior designers, kind of in the building phase and design phase, to integrate high end audio uh, into spaces for restaurants, nightclubs, hotels, things like that. So, and he's extremely knowledgeable having studied this in college. Yes. He's been a touring musician and an engineer, basically. Yeah, and I should probably give, <laughs> not an apology, but a warning that I tried to geek out on some very technical questions that I've always wondered about uh, about audio and my own home audio journey. So some of this might be, well, it's definitely over my head and it might be boring to you guys. So Apologies for that. <laughs> we do get a bit technical in this one, but it's still a great conversation and hopefully you learned something. Yeah. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with Matt Edgar. Sound is good. I can see the waveforms. So mad, welcome in. Yeah, hey, what's going on? <laughs> All right, so you're fresh in from Dallas, yeah. Right when when did you get in? Actually, uh, we've been in Dallas three months, but I just got in like. <laughs> so you got in yesterday. So your office is here, but you're you've got a new office also in Dallas. Yeah, I've been. I don't know how long have I lived in Chicago? Like twenty something years. Wow. And I turned twenty one here. Let's leave it at that. And uh, <laughs> by way of being in a band and all that, so I ended up in Chicago, but. Um, yeah, I just moved to Dallas to launch a new office down there. So much going on. And for us, since we were globally, it's really nice being near, being near O'Hare is great. And I'd say the second best is being near DFW is just so connected. Mm. Um, but you know, half of the fastest growing cities in the country right now are in Texas. Yeah. Um, so we already had a bunch of cool, interesting projects going on there and finished some there and, uh, just going down there for the time being to kind of like help build a new office and make sure everybody involved in that is like on board with our culture at Pineapple Audio. So, but so the company was launched in Chicago, and how long were you guys just in Chicago? Um, 2007, so it's about 16 years old, and uh, well, it's coming up 17 now, right? Um, and yeah, so it was founded here. And then uh, where where did you guys start? I mean, what was like the first project, and was it always? Well, I guess before that, what's your education? I assume this is not something a layman can go into. This is a very specific. Yeah, it won't mean a lot, do, but um, <laughs> no, my background, my education is in um, recording and acoustics. Yeah. Okay. So it was more focused on, you know, recording studio stuff and all aspects you can think of that. And I've always been a musician. Um, a bit on both sides of the glass, as they say, as an engineer, as a musician. Um, same thing with always done live sound and performed touring and stuff too, in different bands or whatever. And um, yeah, and so I moved to Chicago. Um, I was in a band. We had a band in college, and what, it, what one of the band members didn't tell us who was the main songwriter is that he shopped us the entire time, and we got and. Like literally at graduation, he's like, "By the way, 
um, Duran Duran's manager is really interested in us. And so it was this other dude out of Chicago. Whoa. Uh, and we had this weird situation where there was a free house to stay in, in New Jersey right outside of New York City. So we're like, and I was graduating college. I was 19. And I was like, whatever, man. Let's give it a shot. It's pretty young to be graduating college. Yeah. Well, it was a, you know, advanced program, like accelerated program, all this kind of stuff. But um, so I was like, whatever. Like, I can, if I'm ever going to give this a shot and mess around with the Rockstar thing, like, Now's the time, right? Yeah, man, yeah. as well. And so, um, you know, Duran Duran's management was, uh, let's just say, not a good fit. <laughs> a little wacky. And uh, then we found a dude out of Chicago who is a guy responsible for getting Disturbed signed. And that wasn't necessarily our style of music mm-hmm. particularly, but still a good end. And he was like, you know, it'd be a lot easier to work with you if you guys live in Chicago. So we were like, sure, let's move. Like a week later unknowingly pulled up to the apartment people and were like, we need an apartment. When? Right now. <laughs> Where'd you and like, Are you Chicago? just parked in the bus stop right there? We're like, yep, that's how newbie we are to Chicago. <laughs> that would be <laughs> What kind of music were you guys doing? Uh, it was like electronic rock, a um, little bit of metal influence, and then it kind of went in the vein of more poppy stuff, trying to write the songs for record labels and all this. But yeah. this is also like the time that like, you know, Napster's coming into play. Record labels are folding left and right. We got an offer from Electra, and the guy that got Slipknot signed, literally the entire record label folded the next week. Oh. It was a subsidiary of Electra, and Electra completely folded. Wow. Um, so it wasn't meant to be, and that's fine. Um, but anyways, in, in that you know um, time, somebody in the band has to work at Guitar Center to get the discounts, right? So you don't make any money yet. <laughs> and so that was me, and I was terrified of losing all my education. I didn't really want to, like, be a barista, which is where you basically start at the studios. You just get people coffee all day. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so I did that, and in the process, um, met a lot of really great musicians and producers in Chicago and started building their studios for them on the side. They would come in, design the system. Uh, they would... You know, say, oh, can you train me on this? And can you come to my place and build it all? Because this was this time where people started having Pro Tools. That was affordable. You get a record advance. You could actually have enough money now to build your own studio instead of blowing it in the studio. You could keep the stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's and, really where the st- company started. And how did you, I mean, you've kind of briefly talked about it, but you studied this stuff. You were in a band. Where did the knowledge become like expert level in terms of making these setups for others? Well, I think like anything else. Um, if you think you know everything, you probably don't know anything. And it's always continued education, especially with advancement of technology um, and the stuff we have at fingertips and stuff evolving and changing. I never knew I'd have to be such, you know, and my team would have to be so good at IT networks in order to make an audio system work, but that's the reality of today. Yeah. Um, Are there, like, specific eras you can point to in audio evolution where it's like, you know, up to other inflection points where it's like up to this point, this is what was popular. This was state of the art. And then like, what are the, those big movements? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it probably goes back to recorded music from the transition from tape machines, which my class was actually the last in my school to learn analog tape mm. and actually record and splice two inch tape to pro tools, which was so convenient. You couldn't ignore it, but didn't really sound good at the time. Why um, did it sound inferior? I mean, the tech wasn't built up yet. Yeah, the converters, the samples, the clocks, everything that, like, because you're basically sampling an analog waveform that's continuous, and you're taking pieces of it. It wasn't really there yet, but it was still convenient. And we still listen to albums today that were produced in the late 90s that were on Pro Tools. Um, but it got better and better. And it took a while for that kind of technology to work its way into installed sound, live sound, that was actually, like, pleasant enough to actually work with 
or convenient enough or affordable enough, right? Yeah. This is very expensive and not necessarily the best sonic quality, but cutting tape is a pain in the ass, you know? Um, and tape itself was expensive and very labor, and you need this whole machine and a machine room for it and all this kind of crazy stuff. So, um, but I think that that, yeah, the answer is yes. I mean, there are definitely inflection points with technology. And you had some early adopters that were would grab it for the convenience, and then finally people that would implement it because it finally sounded good enough that were the convenience and the quality kind of like met, you know? Yeah. At, at the time that you were in school, you know, the last class learning uh, tape, what were bars and restaurants and nightclubs doing? A lot of analog. So they'd have analog crossovers, big 31 band EQs. I mean, you still go in a lot of New York places, and it's just that historic New York dance deck kind of culture um, that's still doing some of that stuff mm-hmm. because it's so, like, ingrained and it's got a certain kind of thing to it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, like, literally one hardware piece of thing. That was like your sub mixer or whatever, and then into like a big EQ thing, and then a crossover that separated the subs from the tops, and a lot of times multiples of those. Um, and yeah, so that's, I mean, it was like these giant racks of gear and these amplifiers that weighed a ton of money and sucked a ton of power from the wall. Um, and you know, there's still some like great nostalgia even I have for some of that equipment, but mm-hmm. then some modern technology is what it's allowing us to do is just is undeniable. Do you get requests from? new accounts to build out those kind of antiquated systems and you're like uh yeah we try to um yeah i think i mean there's a huge revolution of like you know the listening bar concept or record bar everybody's influenced from martha records in tokyo and um so there's a lot of that where they want like big knobs and people want macintosh amps and whatever um, so it happens. I think that like modern DSPs this day far outweigh the benefits of the nostalgia and that stuff. But there's a way to blend it together that really has a nice sound and analog warmth to it with like the rotary analog mixers and turntables, um, and maybe get some class AB amps. But then infuse, depending on the situation, some of the more modern technology within that ecosystem to kind of get the best of both worlds. Yeah. So, all right. So you're working at Guitar Center. You're learning about audio. You're kind of networking, figuring out Chicago. The whole time, were you like, okay, I want to start my own business at some point? No, I never knew I was an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And looking back, like I could obviously see a lot of key markers, like how I acted in situations, always took over that kind of stuff. Um, You know, and going forward now, I'm super passionate about the business as a business person and entrepreneur, just as much as an audio engineer. And, um, but no, it was just, um, you know, I needed to make some extra money. These people want to pay yeah. me cash to go set up all the stuff I knew everything about. And if I didn't, I learned. And um, Were there it, some particularly challenging setups in those early days? Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of MIDI, which is what everybody used for keyboards and yeah. stuff. And all the controllers for, like, the, the control pro tools or digital, whatever you were using. A lot of software they didn't use anymore. Um, had to be all configured and saving the files and all this kind of stuff. And so it was more just getting the system up and running, but actually training people on how to use this stuff. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a lot more complicated than it is now. It was before that was like, you plugged it in and the driver worked on the computer, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and there was like card slots you had to put in the computers, you know, there was no firewire, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, I mean, it was a bit, it's a lot easier today, obviously you can pull up garage band and, be the next Billy Eilish, I guess, you know, We're recording at garage band right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. So, uh, when, at what point do you become specialized in hospitality? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So I was building these studios, and um, again, just starving musician times. Um, some of my customers did some sports bar installs and were like, hey, you know, if you want to make some money, come help me hang these speakers overnight at this bar or sports bar or whatever. And I was like, yeah, cool. I'll, I'll do that. I like money. I'm going to pay any money. <laughs> and um, it's just kind of being a worker, terminating stuff, hanging speakers, whatever, um, and realizing, like, man, there's a better way. I don't think any of these people understand, like, what's really going on here. They think you plug in an amp and a speaker and you got music, so you check the box, you're done, right? But, you know, like, one of the things I always say over and over again is, like, why do we keep putting speakers on an opposite wall of the bar and pointing at the bartender's head? Yeah. Are they the ones paying for music or the, you know, like, <laughs> do you want it to be loud where they're taking orders? Like, what's the implications of that? Yeah. Um, but it's easier to do because it's a flat wall, but that's a, and I was just like, oh, there's a better way. There's definitely a better way. Like, that's not how I would want to listen to music. Mm-hmm. If you're facing the bar, you don't want the speakers coming from behind you either. Um, so stuff like that. And I was like, you know, I think I can, I think I can do better. Um, and then, yeah. And then. Started doing stuff, had a couple opportunities, just like building studios to um, integrate a couple of bars and stuff. They're buying speakers from the store I was working at. And um, yeah, just kind of took off from there. It was really like started falling in love with hospitality and and really public spaces, you know, mm-hmm. and doing something still behind this curtain type vibe. You know, you look out at the crowd and see them having a good time. And that's that's all the love I need, you know, as a technician. And um but being able to do that in a place that stands forever, or for a long time at least, yeah, and walk in and be like, these people are having a good time. I had something to do with that. It's really, really a good feeling, you know? Yeah. Um, and and just the hospitality. And, re- you know, realizing how much we can add to that experience and then focusing on, like, out of all the years doing it, like, how can we get this much better? What are we missing? How can we incorporate things like room acoustics, which, you know, I've done a lot of continuing education from since – beginning of the company, but I still had that background and that college education in that too. Um, and realizing that like the best sound system doesn't mean anything if the acoustics are bad. Yeah. Uh, if it's not easy to use, what's the system worth? You know, like, and all, all these kind of things that play into, play into the full end experience. Um, yeah, that's true. So we, we removed studios, podcast studios recently. The, the old one was much smaller and if you listen to episode one of Joiners, it sounds like we're in a tin can. It sounds awful. I can't even listen to it. It's embarrassing. But it was a t- it was a tiny room with no padding on the walls. So then we added those acoustic panels that the stack over there, and um, and that made a huge difference. And it sounded better. <clears throat> then we moved into this larger space. We didn't. You can see there's like hardly anything on the walls. We hung these curtains, but they don't, I don't think they do much. But does the larger space just offer a better diffusion of sound? Or was it, did it have it? What was the main difference there? I mean, larger can be more difficult depending on the surfaces. Um, think of it like a light beam, like a flashlight and mirrors, right? So the harder your surface is, the more shiny that mirror is. So mm-hmm. it's going to bounce around, right? So what are you really hearing? Are you like, how much of the actual direct sound are you hearing versus a reflection? You know? Um, and, a lot of those places, you're hearing a lot of reflections. The bigger the place, potentially the bigger reflections and a lower frequency because it's a bigger room. Um, so the idea is like in the studio, let's go back to the studio, when you have your tr- magic triangle of speakers left to right, you want to be right in the center of the triangle mm-hmm. and right in the perfect front back of the room. Uh, but then typically 
behind in the studio is diffuser, so the sound breaks up and you're not hearing reflection, and there's absorption everywhere else. So you're not he- hearing reflection there either, so you're absor- absorbing it. It's the same thing. Um, I don't want to hear the afterthought of the music being played out at speakers. I don't want to hear it twice, once from here and once from there. That's why ceiling speakers are such a bad idea in prime listening locations because they're pointed right at the floor. It bounces. Which right. is a hard surface almost every time. Like, I don't know when was the last time you were in a restaurant with carpet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, and our ears are not on top of our head. That's not how we're, like, programmed to locate, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think the easiest way to think about it is, in fact, they tell you to do this sometimes in, like, the little manuals for studio monitors is, like, if you have a laser beam or you look at it, actually put up a mirror. Mm-hmm. Where's that speaker facing? And that's your first reflection point. And wherever the reflection that mirror is, maybe it's not a flat surface, is your second reflection point. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Just looking around, what would you change about this room right now? I mean, I don't know. It's got, I think it's okay. I He's mean, besides maybe the air conditioning noise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the- which is a, which is a, a big problem um, in projects we've done. Yeah. We're putting some commercial warehouse HVAC in a restaurant, and it's so loud. It's, yeah. it's literally white noise because it's air hitting a vent with lots of frequencies, and everything has to live on top of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In the old studio, we would turn the AC off, and it would be very sweaty by the end of the yeah. interview in the summer. It's brutal. That and the garbage trucks. Which was, uh, I don't know. It's not bad. Yeah, you know, I think... Like I think it actually sounds over. pretty pretty good. Yeah. It does. When yeah. I so when we first moved, I listened to episode one, and then I listened to the first one we recorded in here, and it was a huge difference. So I was like, that's why I asked about the size of the room if that mattered. Um, all right. So back when you were taking on these kind of these side projects, what were some of the places you were working on? Any any throwbacks for Chicago? Any? I mean, in the beginning, it was like you know, like your first podcast, still working it out, mm-hmm. working on budgets and probably doing work for way too little money. Yeah. You know? I was going to say, how did you eventually figure out like labor rates? And I'm sure there was sticker shock. Oh, clients. it was like, well, well, at the beginning, I wasn't even selling the equipment. I was just like, because I worked at a store that sold it. So there was no conflict of interest. And I just did the labor. And any amount of money was a lot of money to me at the time being the band mode, you know. And um um, so the so the shop you worked at didn't offer install. No. Oh wow. So you were just you had a you could you were the guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's and that, that came three sixty too. I mean, um, but eventually I was just like, well, I'm just doing it all myself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had always had relationships with manufacturers and everything from back then too, you know. Um, but um, <clears throat> no, I, you know, it was just like whatever opportunities, which was a lot of like Wrigleyville sports bars and a couple of sports bars at Lincoln Park, and mm-hmm. you know, none of that stuff was extremely noteworthy or anything it was just like getting it done for reasonable budget yeah. and pretty reasonable and at that time too i think that like my exposure to various products was limited to what the place i worked with offered yeah you know i wasn't going to trade shows i wasn't in a position where reps would come and demo all the new gear to me all the time like they do now and all that kind of stuff um so if you ask uh if you talk to a danny or tim about speakers and you would say what are the big brands you'd be like hmm Bose, Bang & Olufsen, Wharfdale, Marshall, things like that. These are like consumer-facing products. Yeah. What are the brands, like what are the top-of-the-line brands that you're working with these days? So we actually- and do any of those have a spa- have like market share in the commercial space? Uh, the only company that's like kind of has market share on both on sides is like JBL. Okay, you yeah. Know? I, guess I mean, they're owned sense. by Samson now. They're a beast. We've worked with them. Um, they have a- uh, Some of their products are great. Some of the stuff- 
is a little long in the tooth, been around forever, not my favorite. Super rock and roll, harsh, lots of tweeters type of sound. Um, but, um, you know, there's definitely, like, from, you know, so, okay, so throughout the history of the company, we had a production company, too. We were called AIS, Audio Integration Services. Then we started a production company called AIS Productions. So we did sound for Riot Fest and, like, oh, cool. North Coast and... Um, all the Dirty Bird Records events and all sorts of cool stuff and lots of Chicago stuff, obviously, um, and other random stuff like we did at stages, Ultra Music Festival and Miami Music Week and all that stuff. And um, um, so when you talk about top brands, there's kind of two two schools of thought. One is production writer friendly, which means it's on the accepted list for like DJs or bands. When you're building a nightclub, you have to take that in consideration. Do I want to be attracted to that or are they just going to play what they play or we're just curating to local people or whatever, right, Um, in the application. So there are, like, a handful of top manufacturers, like L Acoustics, which is French, uh, D&B Audio Technic, which is German. Those are probably the top two in touring. Mm -hmm. Uh, Meyer sounds up there, too. That's actually made in uh, California by John Meyer, who invented the trapezoidal loudspeaker in the PA system because he started with the Grateful Dead, and the whole center channel of the Grateful Dead wall of sound is from John Meyer. Oh, cool. and um, <clears throat> there's a then there's a plethora of other companies trying to catch up to them, right? But at the end of the day, when it's not your money and you're the artist, you just pick what you want or what you see everybody else using, right? Um, some of that translates to installs for bars and restaurants, but a lot of it's just too cost prohibitive. Yeah, we're dealers for just about everything under the sun. Um, take a totally holistic approach to if it's good, you know, and it fits the needs. We're big on aesthetics too, which you know because of. Yeah, that is important. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like vintage audio. I, yeah. have, I have magna pans at my house, um, big six footers, and yeah. I have you know old Sansui receiver. And I, it's really about aesthetic for me because I'm not listening at a level where I'm going to be super picky. I like you know it's interior design as well. Totally. So I think that's that is important ambiance on how it's going to sound in the space. And, uh, and how it's going to look as well. So do you guys, do you have um, conflicts? Or I guess, what, what is your process like? So if I say Danny's opening a new bar and he says, we need to we need to take, you know, whatever, what, what would be a goal for a new space? Like in terms D- of how? Like a DJ booth or something, or like Slope would be a good example. Um, how early do you like to get involved in a project? When Do you work with interior designers? Yeah, I mean, honestly, a lot of our referrals come from interior designers. Yeah. Um, we love working with them, you know, the better, the more coordination, the better the project ends up, you know, cause the truth of the matter is like ceiling, like I mentioned before, ceiling mount speakers and flush mount speakers, they have to be parallel in the walls aren't a great solution. Uh, you know, they just, and so what's the option, black or white speaker on an ugly yoke or whatever. Yeah. Maybe that's fine. I don't know. Um, depending on the project, but like we do a lot of custom colors. We make back to your original question, what brands we use. We have some of our own OEM stuff we make. Oh, cool. Um, you know, we have lots of options. We're constantly building custom subwoofers that fit inside benches in restaurants because mm. square footage of space is so valuable. Yeah. But not having base is frankly bad. And I think uh, I just read a study in the last 10 years, more than half of the information, information being sonic information in all the music produced in the last 10 years, more than half of it is below 500 hertz. Hmm. So the so. value of like the subwoofer is just amplified then, and like just it doesn't even have to be loud, but um, um. So that's the below five hundred hertz is what a subwoofer plays. No, not necessarily. No, subwoofers usually 
between 90 and 100 or below. Okay. But that's like where it starts getting to lower mid-range and going down. And just that alone just emphasizes how important low mid-range and bass is, especially in modern music. But even old stuff, you listen to jazz, one of the most um, – one of the lowest instruments you can listen to is an upright bass. Mm. It just goes so low an octave for an acoustic instrument. Um, that's why a lot of times your hi-fi shops or whatever, you usually listen to some jazz with upright bass to really feel that, you know, bottom end. And, um, um, but, but yeah, so back to the, um, aesthetics thing, I think that there's, if we're going to have these surface mounted speakers, what if we do a color match to match wood grains like we did a slope or, or a heavy feather rather upstairs. Um, and how can we be part of the story yeah, that's the space is telling. Up in, yeah, it's really heavy. You know, I mean, I'm like, um, I go deep on the, the how I really, really got embedded in hospitality through my wife, who's from the liquor industry, um, and you know, been in the cocktail scene for a long time. But you know, going to tells the cocktail every year and learning these terms about presenting the room. You're not giving a cocktail. You're not putting a cocktail. You're presenting the room. Yeah, and being coordinated, like you said, with the interior designers. Um, Telling that story, what's the um, what's the story of this place? Um, where are we in the world? Because the same like Virgin Hotel in Chicago is going to have a much different place than Virgin Hotel in New Orleans, right? Um, what's that story we're telling? Is there some sort of sonic identity to this part of the world, or space, or bar, or whatever cuisine we're serving, right? Um, you know, if you're like doing a really fun like island or jamaican spot or puerto rican spot or something like you're gonna want a lot of low end for that kind of music and you're gonna want to kind of like represent that sound system culture a little bit um if you're jazzy maybe you want to kind of hide everything but still make sure you have that low end to represent the upright bass and all these things yeah um but again present the room and tell a story and merge with interior design and owners and the chef and whomever's vision yeah instead of just being ugly white or black thing on a wall which sometimes that works and that's fine yeah, it's all very intentional. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, we're we're the uniform equivalent where it's like totally. we're, we work with the interior designers. We want everything to. We want to tell a cohesive story totally. throughout for the user or the experience or uh, whoever the client is. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so, oh, sorry. Go ahead. What were you saying? <laughs> no, no, you're good. Oh, all right. Um, so what are some common mistakes you see? So obviously ideal it's for you to come in early on a project, work with the designers as the space before the space even comes together. How does that differ when you come into a place where there is a sound system or it's maybe a space where they're not doing a, a full build, but it's maybe more like a remodel. What are some of those challenges and what are things that you, that you don't want to see when you come into the space for the first time? Again, like acoustics is kind of one of the first things if it's like a remodel or a place that's really far along. Because those are some of the hardest things to tackle, especially if you're talking. There's a certain design element to it, right? Um, black ceiling, easy. Put a black acoustic panel, call it a day, right? Um, but so that's one of the things we look at. Because, like I said, like sound systems, sound systems only as good as the space you're in. Um, and then you know, depending on where we are, because yes, we like to get involved early. We prefer to. Some instances, we get brought in to help concept the space in the first place. There's a big music element to it or something. Uh, but reality is that's maybe 30% of the projects because yeah. 
you know, people are so worried about they're they're in their lane. They're so worried about interior design, or it's a chef driven concept. They're more worried about you know the kitchen layout or the bar layout because it's a, a cocktail forward place um, than they are because that's their expertise and that's what they're on and that, they know that's where the profit they know how to manage that. So um, usually we're like, oh man, we need sound. Yeah, damn it, and and. <laughs> And if people aren't used to working with us, um, like who's who's the person that gets hospitality? Who are the people that like? Well, not person. It's my whole team. It's not me. And um, who who are the who's going to be a partner in this, and not just the vendor, like the Comcast guy or whatever? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you have like general templates at this point? Like, if I'm doing a cocktail bar, this is going to be a hallmark of that acoustic style. If I'm doing a chef-driven restaurant concept. These are the components that I'm going to include for sure. Things I'm going to definitely avoid. Yeah, I think to an extent, I think, you know, financially we definitely have templates for square footage and concept and whatever. But um, we have, I wouldn't call it a template. I would say like proven equipment that we love and a plethora of stuff and and um, that fit certain situations and venues and whatever and budgets you know budgets vary too um you know but we try to find a solution for everybody regardless of budget or whatever they want to do as best we can and um but a lot of it's experience like um you know like oh i I did this um we did rue indian yeah elevated indian theme restaurant but that culture is very lively and and um, I don't say party, we're celebratory yeah. and kind of flashy and loud. And so we did this gold, big void air motion speakers up there. Uh, and then they opened Bargoa, which is from like basically the Ibiza of of um, India, a huge party town, is even more forward. So understanding that kind of stuff, like um, what's the culture and food like where we're at. And so it's not as simple as templates because every room's a different shape. I mean, right. we, we do a lot of the same concepts with some bigger groups all over the country and the shape of the room, height of the ceilings, maybe the colors are different in the room, these kind of things like all play into it. But I think as far as like for the situation, we like this, we like that, we like this. And there's some options that fit in different budgets and different finishes and colors and things like that. Cool. So as you grew the business at what point were you realizing you need to scale, bring more people in? Um, I know cause now you have, you have the office in Chicago, um, Spain, right? Not permanently yet, but that is one of the next steps. Okay. Is so Dallas is my teasing something. Should I know? No, it's fine. You're good. You're good. I'm not secretive about our plans or whatever, you know, I think, yeah. um, yeah, you just said world domination. <laughs> I mean, hospitality is global. Look, yeah. we're we're in this because we love it. Yeah, it seems like you've done projects all over the world. We yeah. have, yeah. I've been really fortunate to kind of be in really unique situa- situations to do stuff all over the place and some wild stuff in weird locations I never thought I'd be in in my life. Are the challenges different place to place or it's kind of the same? Situation? They are. I mean, you know, when you're out of the country, you're dealing with a lot of local labor and stuff. And so um, it's not even language barrier. It's technical ability. Yeah. You're surprisingly, some places are very good. I did a place in the middle of the desert in Namibia. And the kids doing the IT stuff, I mean, young dudes, Namibian guys, spent so much time learning on YouTube that they started teaching me things. Well, wow. And I was just like, wow. And um, But then you get um, you know, other places that are just, for whatever reason, really 
don't have the education and knowledge and background, you really have to hold hands and kind of get through it all. Yeah, are Whether you doing to, physical installs yourself anymore? No. Um, I try to get uh, involved in like one or two a year just yeah. for fun because I love it, you know. Just to stick with it. But it's, you know, I love the networking. I love being on the hospitality side. I assist my team designing stuff, but they're really the, the doing a lot of the lifting. Um, and, um, you know, I really sit in that visionary seat now and making sure that the culture and the mission is on point. We're dealing with the right types of clients and vendors that, you know, align with our core values and our personal values. And, um, you know, that's a full-time job on its own, you know? Um, but I get, you know, fortunate enough to get in some of these crazy international projects and also, um, get to meet the clients, get feedback and steer the ship a little bit. But, um, on international projects, do you, lean on the client to help find local installers and contractors or is that do you have to take it, out it that depends. Stuff? I, I have a pretty robust network of companies mm-hmm. around the world uh, some of them through some dealer networks um, I travel I prefer to go to industry trade shows outside of the United States for AV stuff because I see stuff that's new smaller brands that are up and coming a lot of stuff is, you know no surprise not made here um, you know we're doing this new project here we're using this Spanish speaker brand that's pretty cool and, and just fit that bill right and small company out of northern Spain that nobody ever heard of but it's a good product built great and um, fit the bill um, but through that network and through traveling and touring too as an engineer mm-hmm. um, I have a vast network of sound guys or distributor dealer networks and you kind of like become part of this club yeah. especially on like some of the like heady brands or some of the like really high-end brands where like, you know why you guys are in the room. You have the same passions and everything. And I can be, okay, who's the player in that area for this? Um, Sometimes the customers have suggestions and we work with it. And sometimes we just need to go out and do everything we can. Right. Yeah. Um, In the United States, we tend to do everything. Yeah. We don't really subcontract a lot. Um, Yeah. And your team can travel with you. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of the, I'm sure you've had people, people, guests who have been on our podcast or clients, what are some of the places, like, I'm sure listeners have listened to your setups all over Chicago. Who are some of your local clients? I mean, definitely, without a doubt, Hogsall and Brendan Sotokoff has been a huge uh, advocate of ours and partner mm-hmm. um, along our journey. And um, Al Cheval was the first place we did with them, hmm. which to this day, we get people that go there and have to find out who did the sound system and we want to work with you. <laughs> um, that's been happening with us a lot with uh, Sam Fox and Fox restaurants because we did 1230 club with Justin Timberlake and Sam Fox in Nashville. Um, Clients which, of stocks too. Yeah. 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 And, uh, which were and um, and yeah, they worked with ring and hook as well. Right. Um, but that's like a staple, like, wow. I mean, it's a massive place, but it's like, they elevated what a honky tonk could be and made it like a place you wanted to wear a suit to. Yeah. This was Justin's <laughs> yeah. vision. He's like, I want people to come up to the, there's two stages, a 60,000 square, it's a crazy place. I want people to come up to the supper club upstairs and feel like they should be wearing a tux. Now it's Nashville, so good luck. But um, <laughs> uh, but it's got that vibe. And and um, so that's that's been a big calling card for us. But all of Brennan's places, I think for people in Chicago and even eat, foodies around the world and restaurateurs, they always come here and experience bavettes and, um, 
you know, Green Street Smoked Meats, which is a totally different kind of audio experience. Um, I don't know if you guys were ever lucky enough to go to Radio Nago when that existed. Yeah, that was awesome. Did you? Yeah, yeah. that was a really fun project. Yeah, which is now Chicho Mio space. Yeah, yeah. 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 And um, Tim played on that Dance Dance Revolution machine oh, yeah. at the time. Which wasn't even, it was some like crazy other Korean elevated version of DDR. Yeah. Yeah. Tim's feet can move pretty quick. Don't let his appearance fool you. That is not true, but our producer, Matt Haddock, uh, went from a chubby boy to a skinny boy because of dance dance revolution wow he credits that with his uh physique <laughs> change during the adolescent years if only you had to actually run in call of duty right <laughs> yeah <laughs> someday vr yeah. it's coming but, um, oh man that's cool yeah i mean yeah, a lot of those places and then honestly like really we grew a name for ourselves in the nightclub world um i brought over just you know if you've seen them uh, these big horns from void acoustics uh uh, a friend of mine, an engineer, Nathan Short, who like we worked together from the beginning, and he actually works for the brand now. Um, he's like, "Hey, check these things out. They're kind of funky, but the specs on them make sense." Like, a, I'm super curious. So I was like, started making a little bit of money with the install. I was like, you know what? Let's import the first set ever. Let's just go for it and see what yeah. it's like. Uh, and we did, and and um, they were really cool, and it blew up, and, and now it's like a heavily demanded nightclub sound system, you know. Um, and so that became our calling card and I, I didn't know what it was, you know, I was like, I don't know how do you sell a nightclub sound system? How do you get the name out there? And I was like, well, I don't know. It's Chicago. There's tons of warehouse parties. Let me just rent the sound system to them. So it was basically mm. pay to do demos for the dance community. Wow. At like, was um, it portable? I mean, how do you move that kind of Yeah. Situation? It was set up like a production rig with, you know, and eventually bought like a sprinter van and stuff like that. Wow. And, um, they're like, man, you can really hang with up by night, but half the night I was, I'd take a nap in the van, you know? <laughs> and, um, but, um, yeah, that for years, and that's how the production company started. It wasn't like necessarily intentional. It was just like, how do I get the word about this product out there? It's like, well, actually, throw parties. It's phenomenal. It looks really cool and sexy. You know, it makes people take pictures of it. Want to get pictures in front of it because it's a really cool looking sound system. Uh, and and um, yeah, kind of blew that up. And then we got asked to start working with Dirty Bird Records, which is a Bay Area like um, tech house label, and. Um, became friends with all those guys as they were exploding and blowing up. And um, we ended up doing a club in San Francisco um, called Monarch, which was owned by Chris Smith of Ohm Records. And Ohm Records in the 90s, if you remember your Nokia, that came with that Colette song. Yeah. from that was Colette was on Ohm Records, and it was like the 90s cool barrier dance label. So I was like, wow, it's really cool. And um, so we did that. Tiny room, still just recently got update up retuned the other day. Still amazing, one of the best sounding venues. Legendary, it's won all sorts of awards and stuff. Then we ended up doing like all these barrier nightclubs, uh, Hawthorne, um, Mighty turned into the Great Northern. We did that, and uh, Temple redid that. And then um, one of the owners got caught wind of um, met another Taiwanese guy because owner that's Taiwanese, and he was like. Hey, who did your sound? He said, Oh, this guy Matt with his weird speakers void or whatever. Mm-hmm. Called me. Next thing I know, I'm in Taiwan wow. doing the biggest nightclub in Taipei. That's insane. Yeah. And then um, called Omni, and it was called Luxie before that. And they're like, By the way, we're going to build a totally different concept literally next door. And nightclubs out there are like, they're massive. Like a Vegas sized room is average. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. And um, so. They built this new concept next door. If you go to our website, find out about it, and see the front page, you'll see these gold speakers, this beautiful tiered room. And that place is called Core, K-O-R, because the EDM club's next door had a no EDM policy. 
had a really high end cocktail, super high volume and champagne service, stuff like that. Mm. Um, but there was no EDM policy. So it started like funk and RP mm. in the night and it ended up being like trapped in the night, you know? Weird. Um, but yeah, and then we did another one of those in Shanghai. Uh. I did, I got a, I did a club in Singapore after that. And that really like, kind of like made us from like some little guys that like doing some installs here and there in sports bars to like, Oh, we're actually doing something. And then we won world's best nightclub design award for that, um, for Omni in Taipei. Whoa. Yeah. Wow, Tim, you googling flights to Taipei right now? Oh, yeah. Well, go. I'm thinking about going to May. <laughs> Let's do it. My Let's birthday, do it. Dude. perfect birthday uh, trip. Beautiful city, man. That would be an incredible. <laughs> and it's a tropical island. So, do you get Let's do you do get um, requests from like musicians to do like home installs and things like that? Do you do any residential? Um, not really. Um, you know, it's not something we're super passionate about, but we do the occasional. Um, so you know. You actually see one of ours in a penthouse. You know the bridge building where Whole Foods is down near Fulton Market? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you look all the way up in the front, on the other side of how we kind of have to go to see it, look all the way up in that penthouse and you'll see two wider motions hanging in the guy's loft. Um, and because he's like, he met us at doing some parties and stuff. I was like, yeah, I want this in my place. So we do some kind of stuff like that. And we actually have uh, two projects going on right now. One, I don't even think I can talk about, but it's in Hollywood in some crazy mansion. And another one, which I could totally talk about, uh, it's the Seagull Mansion in Versailles in, in Orlando that has cool. that TV show and they're building a giant nightclub in a basement. But the house has taken so long to build. Originally, the kids, the kids were young and it was going to be roller rink, and now they're in their 20s. And like, yeah, we want a nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of like that stuff. Um, you know, but I, I think that like we always try to talk about these big, grandiose meteor projects but like you know the small ones have like some of the biggest impact to us yeah you know like the slippery slopes and the, the neighborhood places are just beloved um we just did a bar for some people uh, here in chicago that were on not any of those like kind of budgets and skills but we made it happen and we're super proud of the install and our team was like wow this is really cool it's great to be able to pull that kind of thing off you know yeah sweet because uh, sometimes it's not about the money; it's about the knowledge and creativity and experience. Yeah, yeah. it seems like yeah. ideally of like a blend of all sorts of different projects happening. Yeah, I mean, you know, we did uh, like Passion House Coffee with Josh, and like you know, a lot of those projects are so appreciated, whether it's by the owner of the community or the people that work there. You know, yeah, uh, it's not about the budget; it's about can we execute and enhance the experience of this thing? Can what we do for your hospitality business? Uh, you know, ultimately enhance what you're doing and, you know, be frank, like help you make more money too in the process, right? And get yeah. an ROI on versus just, okay, I got sound up. I checked the box. It's supposed right. to have sound, and, but it's too loud. It's too echoey. People want to leave. Yeah, um, that's a, you know, that's, it brings up a good question. Uh, yeah, like, do, do you think the average person coming into a space, like, what do you think they're, understanding is of of an acoustic or of an audio experience so do you think it's more of like a subconsciously processed thing where someone walks into space and like, mm, like i think, vibe you, I think you notice it, it vibe check because yeah of audio? i think you notice it if something's out of balance like you probably don't want people noticing so how how nerdy do you want me to get let's we get, can get it's we can get pretty nerdy. nerdy let's get nerdy. okay all right so no people will typically don't recognize and this is just blaring so loud i can't even talk yeah to like you. if it's so that's off. like let's get out of here i can't even talk to you I'm, I'm getting annoyed i'm getting a headache yeah mm-hmm. um you know so 
what happens is um, there's some really cool books that Professor Charles Spence wrote on the topics. Um, I went years ago. I went a little bit deep dive on some like evolutionary biology things and curious topics there, and it all kind of like started to make sense to me. And then I read Charles Sp- uh, Professor Charles Spence's work from Oxford, and the, and it kind of confirmed some things I was kind of coming up hypothesis I was coming up with, um, and so if you walk in a restaurant or any space for that matter, and you can't pinpoint a threat, meaning, okay, a glass falls and breaks, you know, whether you want to or not, you're going to acknowledge it. Right. Because it's a potential threat. That's in our biology, in our DNA. Now, if the room's too reverberant or echoey and I can't pinpoint the threat, I will be on a heightened flight or flight mode, whether I realize it or not. Hmm. And my brain will allocate a percentage of its power to hearing. Not taste. Mm. You will taste. So with better acoustics, you will actually taste better. More fully. Because, wow. and, and you can say, like, some of your best probably dining experience, concert experiences, or because you actually felt relaxed. Yes. What, I Always. Mean, it's why I don't like to stand at a concert. I like to go to Chicago theater and sit in a chair. <laughs> yeah. I like saw, to be relaxed. Uh, I saw a massive attack there, and it was amazing <laughs> to have a chair. Although that lasted, like, two minutes once I started playing. Yeah. <laughs> stand up. But, um, but, um. Yeah, and there's a lot of scientific research um, behind sounds, type of sounds, and how this all plays out. But that one's super interesting because it literally affects, like, the cocktail, the drink you're having, the food you're having, you know? Um, But I think there's a place for, like, a little bit of a louder environment. That's the entire environment, as long as it's comfortable. Yeah. And there's also something that we became really good at really fast just coming from the studio world is in these nightclubs that are really loud. It's like, can we be loud and still have a conversation like this? For sure. And you can. Yeah, that's a very delicate balance. Yeah, it's a it's a combination of room acoustics and distortion in the sound system itself. Yeah. Because hearing fatigue isn't, you know, it's, it's a formula of, like, your ears ringing of how loud the music is, the time of exposure, like, how long you're exposed to that, and the harmonic distortion, and di- well, not harmonic distortion, but distortion in general in the sound you're actually listening to. So you can actually be listening to loud music for a long time and not have hearing fatigue. Yeah. If the system itself doesn't have a lot of distortion and you're not listening to a bunch of reverberations, you know, so it's possible. And that's a lot of the, some of the best compliments we get from like, you go to soundbar or whatever, it's crazy loud. But if you wanted to talk to me in my ear, you don't have to yell. Yeah. Yeah. I was always wondering this kind of on topic when we hear like a studio album, you know, in our car, like at home, whatever, we clearly understand the lyrics and the music and the whole range but then you go see something live and it's like, you can't make out the lyrics. Like the bass is very dialed up. Like what's, what's going on? I guess like, why, why does that happen? It seems obviously they're aware of it. These are professional setups for concerts. Yeah. I mean, look, like we own some really over top sound systems for doing right fest and all these other festivals, and all sorts of crazy stuff. And, and the system's only as good as the engineers. Yeah. You know? especially when you're deploying these systems like on a um, daily basis in different environments, you don't have like weeks to go into CAD and pre-plan everything like we do with installs. Right. So um, there's two elements to it. One, a lot of people just turn around to the sound guy and be like, you suck. (laughs) It's like, well, what did he get handed? Because his job is to mix the band and send it to a left, right output to the sound system. Yeah. His job wasn't to align that sound system to make sure that it sounded neutral on its own. Right. And so there's a lot of, you know, sometimes you do get bad engineers. 
the band gets the house guy or the kid out of college or whatever. Um, sometimes the band's just really drunk. <laughs> but yeah. a lot of times um, the missing element you don't see is that sound system. Is it the right sound system? Was it set up correctly? Was it tuned and time aligned correctly? Um, and like one of the biggest culprits, there's no surprises, Ergon Ballroom, is the room acoustics. Like, how do you battle the room? Ergon Ballroom has that big dome roof. It's mm-hmm. got a painting on it, so it's a historic structure. You can't really do anything to it. Um, acoustically, it's have done a bunch of shows there. Huge challenge. Yeah. You know, and that's it. So I think that, like, even with a good engineer, if the system isn't, you know, when you're on tour, you have a system engineer. It's their responsibility to put the system, make sure it's deployed in the correct fashion and sounds, um, for lack of a better term, like neutral and like pretty well balanced. Yeah. Throughout the room. I guess that's what it, it's like the balance. I mean, it's the same thing where I wonder if just based on audio trends where like, I feel like I'm watching movies with subtitles, you know, in English because I just like want to catch the dialogue. I feel like I'm just same. Like, yeah. fully hearing it crisply. I think the default. And I don't know what's going on. I like, think the default on Netflix is fucked up. It's, or is it, on, but it's on so many, yeah, not only Netflix, but it's just a bunch of different things I'm watching. I feel like, why am I, like, I'm not old. <laughs> like, why am I not hearing this dialogue? What's you do suffer on? from tinnitus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. Danny has special wild. earpieces he wears to concerts. Yeah, yeah I mean, Ultimate too. Ears made, yeah. yeah made what's the, what is it, who makes those? Um, I think Ultimate Ears. What, what's the place there's, on Milwaukee? Sensophonics. Oh, sorry, Sensophonics. Yeah, yeah. Ultimate what Ears. What does that do? A long time ago. So, they mold your ear. It's very cool. And a little bit awkward for a while when they show the stuff in here. You have to keep your mouth wide open. Yeah. Uh, and they and they basically so it's awesome. a complete airtight seal. And then they give you different filters you can pop in and out for different levels of attenuation. Like, oh. Oh, I'm a, I'm maybe I'm maybe working on jet engines today, so I need a 25 dB, whatever. And um, yeah, I have them too from my musician days because I would practice every single day with my band when we moved here at a Superior Street, and uh, it was loud as hell and. But I just went. I just graduated from recording school where they just preach like protect your hearing every day. Um, a lot, a lot of teachers were older guys that they didn't even have that conversation. Yeah, they lost their hearing, and it was their entire love and passion and job, right? Um, but yeah, it's much more enjoyable. And that is irreversible damage when you damage your hearing. Yeah, everybody's saying they're working on something, but at this point, there's no solution. Yeah. Mm. All right. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna get fitted for some. What's the <laughs> there, yeah? Sensophonics. Sense yeah, it's a great experience, especially in the day and age where like a lot of promoters just want as loud as humanly possible. It made shows mm-hmm. fun for me again. Yeah. Hmm. Because you were fun. relaxed. <laughs> yeah. It's more. It was more because bartending at Slope. It was like so loud, and I wanted oh, to be man. able to hear a drink order, but like be able to under you know. Yeah, I mean that's something too. Like um, it was like it would block out like the certain range, so you could hear someone pretty clearly. Yeah, it obviously sounded a little different, but it was just like it's too bright. I'm gonna turn it down a little. Exactly. Bit. And I mean that's the thing. Like it's a real health concern too, especially for people in a bar. Like you know, my wife worked in New York and Puerto Rico bars for you know most of her life, and like um, everybody knows the cocktail shaker wrist problems and start wearing wristbands, yeah. all that. But, but what about your hearing, man? Sure. That's that's another reason why we don't like like to point speakers at bartenders like over their heads. They're gonna get the vibe. They're gonna hear some of the music. They don't need to be right in it. Yeah, you know, um, you can make it loud over there for the people that are paying to come to a loud place. You know, but when you lean into the bar, it should be like sixty be less. Like you just pop those earplugs in. Like put my order, have a conversation. If I if we want to talk at the bar, we naturally would lean in a little bit anyways, and have that conversation and lean out it for just vibing with the room, you know, yeah. that's the ultimate design goal, especially when it comes to bars, you know, 
for us. But and that's my kind of tip for DIY people that want like some of those tips to do it themselves is look at soft surfaces, acoustic treatment, and think about the placement of the speakers in a meaningful way like that. This episode is brought to you by Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, a tasty, versatile spirit. Created in Chicago in 2012, the product was born out of a need for a bespoke iteration of the Old Tom style, which is the slightly sweeter predecessor to London Dry. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin carries classic notes of orange peel, juniper, and coriander while balancing on a subtle floral edge thanks to the addition of osmanthus blossoms. Its elevated proof is suitable in cocktails or unadorned. Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, complete your bar. How does a silent disco work? <laughs> I, Everyone wears the headphones. Yeah, yeah, but how do they get them all in the same channel and synced up? Uh, typically, um, I went to a wedding that had it. Did you? It was was, a, it, cool? was it one DJ or multiple? It was one DJ and as a friend, Captain Cuts. Um, but oh. basically, it was because there was like an ordinance, um, so that at a certain point, like after midnight they kind of handed out all the headphones and it became like a silent disco. So we wouldn't I love that. violate the, uh, yeah. One of my favorite concerts, um, I had the opportunity to be Mike D, the Beastie Boys for an house engineer for well, a European tour. Uh, and it was him and uh, Jason Steingold as a DJ and, and me in a Pelican case. And that was our whole tour. And, um, but one of my favorite shows we did was in Ahas, Denmark. So I didn't even know it was a place until I landed there, you know, it was yeah. just on the itinerary amazing festival our stage was like us and then bjork and then richie hot until two in the morning in the middle of this you know city in denmark was but, it roskilda wait what festival was it no that's in copenhagen i believe oh okay roskilda is near Copenhagen. Oh, got it sorry yeah it was it was called north side i believe okay um but anyways um but they had back to the sound of this good thing um so it's basically just an rf transmission and a lot of those can take multiple inputs they have like a research kind of like wireless mic Okay. She's just broadcasting to a ton of wireless headphones. But what they did is they built this, like, these weird, like, wooden towers. And there was three DJs, and each DJ tower oh, had wow. a different color light on it. And you could switch channels on there, and oh, there was an illuminated cool. light. Yeah. So you had blue, red, green. Yeah, these were all blue, one channel. Yeah, so it's the I mean, same system. There's, like, a, like, one company that sells all these things. And um, you looked at this mass of people dancing to three different rhythms. And it was the most that's, wild thing. Yeah, that's wild. And I was like, what is going on? I love this. And three different DJs playing totally different genres. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's 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 just like the in-ear systems that bands would have or the reverse of a wireless microphone because as many receivers as you have on that frequency, just like a radio, can pick it up. But now it's evolved. The one thing I didn't like about that is you never got really impacted bass, like big subwoofers at a concert. But now they have like wearable, you know, bass backpacks and all oh, that kind whoa, of stuff. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice a lot of gamers are leaving, using that or attaching that kind of stuff to their chairs. Um, hmm. So, yeah, it's just a, it's basically like radio, like short okay. That makes radio. sense. Yeah. Uh, shifting gears a little bit, what are some of the legalities of streaming music in a space? Good question. So, um, there are a lot. I mean, basically, the way artists get paid, besides concert tickets, is through ASCAP, BMI, uh, and there's another one. Um, and um, in a perfect world, what you're supposed to do is sign up for ASCAP, BMI, and the other one, if, if you play those, their catalog of music, and those collect all the royalties and publishing for like all the radio stations, all the, you know, and distribute the money to the artist, right? 
Um, so if you're in a commercial environment where you're using music as part of your business, restaurant, hotel, whatever, um, you're supposed to be subscribed. There's different levels of subscription too. There's like for background music, there's DJs and live performance. So like if bands are coming in and covering other songs, that's supposed to be covered too. Um, way easier way to do that is assuming you're not having DJ bands is to just provide a commercial streaming service that's handling all that for you. So while we don't provide that service um, directly, um, our focus is the best quality input because, you know, shit in, shit out. Mm-hmm. If We've had a project we did where that was like great sound system. The guy chose us over another vendor he used to use on his other restaurants and stuff and came in and was like, it's not that much better. And I was like, hold on, let me just play my phone. And they were like, oh, wow, this sounds great. I was like, because your streaming service is mono on this little device on this whatever music streaming service thing yeah, um, with low quality. And it's like the thing with a good sound system, with a good TV, with good anything, um, you, you know, shit in, shit out, or good in, good out, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's our focus. But furthermore, we push the agenda a little bit more of like, are you doing it legally? Because what they do is they come in and sue you. Yeah. And they hope that you just – they send you an invoice – scare the crap out of you, probably settle. and Or if you don't, they'll go all the way. That's, there's people, that's their job. Yeah, mm. they have people going into spaces. And, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're fighting for the rest to make a little bit of money, you know? Yeah. And um, so, you know, there's some services like Soundtrack Your Brand, which you can take your Spotify place. Spotify is not a legal streaming service. Uh, Title is not commercial. It's for personal use. Are there um, any that cross over for both, like Apple or Amazon? Do they have uh, commercial no, streaming? Um, you can, if you own the music, you can just fall back on the ASCAP and all those licenses fees you're paying. Um, and, you know, I'm not the foremost expert. You can actually call ASCAP and be my, they're really cool about guiding you through the process. But if you sign up for commercial streaming service like Soundtrack or Brand, um, everybody knows Pandora uh, for business. Um, and, a couple other ones, um, they handle it all for you. Yeah, it's I all think, taken care of. I think the first time I went to Slope, you guys were doing Pandora with the ads, and I was like in the middle of the song <laughs> yeah, dancing, and then uh, yeah. I was being sold like Wonder Bread or something. Yeah, hey, with, you've, you've upgraded since then, <laughs> right? Just yeah, all full ads, a whole hundred percent of the time. Yeah, I mean, hey, to be fair, <laughs> DJs just ads. <laughs> to be fair, how many times are you in like a restaurant was playing sports and you see an ad for another restaurant? You know, <laughs> <True>. yeah, <laughs> that's still sure. a thing. You know, um, but. Um, but yeah, and then so we partnered with we have a couple of solutions. We but we partnered with a guy out of New York, um, Jared Deitch, Music Matters, who's just like a tastemaker. He gets a look at your menu where you are, understand the vibe, put together a great playlist, but also handles all licensing and sends out a high quality box that we configure and plug into our system, get it on the network. Good. So he works within like a certain uh, catalog that he can pull from to put together playlists. Yeah, I mean, probably eighty percent all the music that there is. You okay, know? and yeah. um. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, that's some groups have their tastemaker or maybe the chef's a music lover and really wants this Afro Cuban vibe and has the playlist. Great. Let's just get it on a platform that's actually legal. But more importantly for us, ultimately you're gonna do whatever you're going to do. We're just going to make sure whatever you're giving us to put in the system actually yeah. sounds good. And we have the hardware to back that up. Yeah. Um, and it's not just like a little, you know, your 10th generation iPhone left over plugged into an eighth inch, you know? 
Do you know which any... is not the worst thing that we've come across, though. <laughs> Do you know any horror stories where uh, people unknowingly were not using uh, licensed music properly and ended up on the wrong side of the settlement? I've heard a lot, but almost everybody just ends up, you know, settling, I think. But luckily, like I said, we don't get directly involved in that yeah, stuff. Right. So I just kind of stay out of it. Yeah. And I don't think anybody really talks about those moments because it's a little <laughs> bit embarrassing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then uh, can you explain buffer size and the importance of that as well? Well, a lot of – so buffer is basically just memory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Jared service and another another unit we use um, that has professional outputs, not RCA, um, the reason why we use those is because they do have a huge buffer. So basically it stores the entire playlist. you know. And so if you lose internet, you still have music going. There's nothing worse. There's nothing more damaging. If you lose POS, you can hold people in until you get your internet back running. You can handle some shots. But if you lose POS and music at the same time, they are leaving. Yeah. And they don't care what it takes. And at a certain point, it doesn't matter if they can pay or not, they're leaving. It's not their fault, right? Um, so to me, that's the important of the, something that can have a big buffer and have that music if you don't have it saved then it's not like music you purchased on itunes store or something or whatever you're doing um but that's definitely the importance of that mm-hmm. you know you never would ever want to lose both at once <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah it's scary stuff yeah dan yeah. if you had to pick one to lose what do you lose in pos or music i mean temporarily music is a fine thing like sure yeah. it just depends on how long you know yeah mm-hmm. it's always a backup plan yeah so some audiophile stuff, I guess. I've noticed that's kind of an archetype because I like to buy and I look on the Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist and I'll buy like a, a receiver from somebody or some, some speakers. It's always kind of the same type of guy. They're always kind of like in the periphery of the city and, and they have, you go down to their basement and you feel kind of weird. And then there's like 40 receivers and like some interesting turntables. <laughs> Have you noticed that as well? Uh, it's called we call it gas gear acquisition acquisition syndrome. Okay, which is one of the reasons why I started my company. I was spending all my money on buying audio stuff I didn't necessarily need, and I was like, I should have a company that it's like <laughs> like, so this. I need to monetize. I want to spend this other obsession. people's money on fun stuff, right? Yeah, but um, um, yeah. I mean, it's people that are passionate about. It. It's a fun thing. Exactly, it's really cool historically. Yeah, a lot of these. It's a fun thing to collect. And a lot of these hi-fi systems, especially old ones, like sound really different and it's fun and you see a lot of people flip them too like all the time they'll have this you know they'll go with traditional old attack lensings for a while and then they'll move over to some magnapans or something different and like just kind of like want to change it up you know um because in a way it's like an instrument you know and what's fun about a personal sound system is you can nothing's wrong as long as you're having fun and enjoying the music it's right yeah you know till something goes down and you don't unless you're like fix it I mean, if you're going to ask me, I'm going to be crucial because I from, come from a studio background and I want to, like, hear things in the song that I've listened to 100,000 times in my life I never heard before. Yeah. That's my objective. Yeah. You know? Um, and, like, like Meyer Sound is a studio monitor. is a blue sound. The, they call them blue horns. Uh, most beautiful things I've ever heard. And um, played me, uh, like, Billy Jean or something. You can literally hear the playback from his headphones through the microphone and tell the difference in the song. Whoa. Yeah. Is that a, that's a good question is what's a good song? What are some good songs to test speakers on? Billie Jean? I, I think Billie Jean's a great one. Um, and I think first and foremost, it's a song, you know, 
Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I appreciate Steely Dan. That's traditionally been like every, every big tuning song ever. But I personally, like, that's not the songs I've heard a hundred thousand times. I don't intimately, I mean, I guess you kind of do. You can't not know some of the songs. You think you don't until one comes yeah, on, right? Exactly. And, um, which actually happened at dinner tonight. But, um, but yeah, stuff. And then you kind of feel of like, okay, what's the style? What are different songs? Like, some sometimes play some like bassy tracks that I know well. Um, you know, you can't just put it on a trap song because it's the latest song. Because a lot of the, right. the new school bass sound is meant to sound like a car trunk rattling, you know, or sub bottoming out. That's like an actual sound that people have been going for for the past like eight years. Um, so first and foremost, it's a song you know. Um, you know, oldest trick in the book is bring someone in front of the speakers, play the most amazing recorded like jazz song or feel nap or whatever. And wow, them, especially if they never heard a song, because now there's the whole new emotional thing going on, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh, wow, these are amazing speakers. It's like, yeah, but like. But you don't, yeah. This is one genre of music. Everybody demos jazz because there's so much space in between. It's not very fast, not a huge bass. Like, but is that what you actually listen to on the weekends when you're cooking or whatever with your sound system on? Um, But for me, uh, I have a plethora of stuff. Um, I really like um, Johnny Cash covering Hurt. Hmm. I don't know if I know that song. The Nine Inch Nails song? Yeah, it's so oh. good. You, you, know, the, you yeah. know the cash 100%. version? Oh. Yeah, that, that music video. It's incredible. Cry. Yeah. It's, it was it's, like big for a time. In our it life. was, yeah. And um, You've heard it, I bet. I love the... the. It's kind of a bit much when the song fully kicks in, but I love the Gypsy Kings cover of Hotel California. Yeah. I, I've never heard that. <laughs> uh, sure you have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it is on the soundtrack. When the Jesus gives up the roll. Oh, okay. That's the song that comes on. It's yeah. Gypsy King singing Hotel yeah. California in their style. It's funny. When I went to get speakers from like Decibel, I got some some like old Wharfdales. Um, I played like St. Vincent just because I was listening to it a lot at the time. Yeah. It was so interesting to hear like, you know, with older, not powered speakers versus powered, like just totally mm-hmm. different. Yeah. I mean, um, and I go all over the place. Like I really like Billy Idol's White Wedding because I know that bass tone so well and so mm. predominant. Um, and I do like Fiona Apple for some for recordings. Um, and then go to modern stuff. Um, a couple R&B tracks with some crazy fun bass. Um, a lot of cheesy stuff in there just because I know so well. Um, uh, not Death Cab, but Postal Service. Mm-hmm. There's the one song I can't You immediately tell if you have a kind of good stereo separation. Yeah. It's so dramatic. Yeah. Also a good demo speaker trick because it's always impressive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a uh, lot of, you know, Michael Jackson stuff is phenomenal because it was recorded so simply. Um, I had a, I had a really, I had an opportunity to talk to Bruce Sweden, which was the engineer of uh, that album, Thriller. And, at the time, I was recording engineer, doing more of that stuff. And it was on a um, conference call with a bunch of other sound guys, and we got to ask them some questions and stuff. And we're like, oh, what mic did you use for this? What mic did you do for that? How did you do this? And he's just like, like, oh, what compressors did you use? And he's like, what? None. <laughs> like his gear list of what he did to make that album was so minimal and so purist. That like is why it like really translates so great. I mean, he didn't even use a condenser microphone on Michael Jackson's voice. That was a broadcast microphone, an SM7 that you always see in podcasts and radio stations and stuff. And we talked about it in the beginning of the show. Um, 
but some of that stuff is really true and authentic and you can feel like you're in the room with the instrument or whatever is going on i think is like powerful but like i said if you don't know the track what's your reference point mm, it has to be familiar it's just like uh you know some perfume or something like oh it's great right um so anyways i was long-winded but there's no, kind of that's, that's right. yeah. so like for when you're listening to music on in my mind i would never buy a new album on vinyl is there is there any does that make sense it does to me because the art of pressing vinyl and working the lathe is not what it used to be yeah like what's compromised i just always assume like, like there's thinner vinyls there's the there's the quality goes in it like are they actually mastering straight to a lathe on vinyl or are they like taking a digital thing and throwing on vinyl to sell it hot topic you know what yeah. i mean um so i think you will find how geeky you want to get, you'll find good stuff, but you kind of almost have to trace, like, listen to it, trace it back to like, all right, where did this actually get mastered? All this kind of stuff. So it's really in the production process. Yeah, totally. Okay. Uh, and did it get mastered to vinyl, or is it a sample of a digital thing that's a sample of acoustic music in the first place? Yeah, my, uh, my thought is always that the engineers during recording are optimizing. We're optimizing things for vinyl when vinyl was the only option, and now people are. I assume engineers are thinking for digital for streaming, which streaming is, I guess, the is it the worst? So, well, I mean, I don't know. Like, I I demo and listen to Spotify in high quality mode all the time. That's, yeah, like Apple has the lossless. Yeah, version. Idol is phenomenal, but it's much better now. But when it first came out, it was just it, it's such a big bandwidth because they wouldn't compromise on anything that like it would always stop. You know, in the middle of a song, you jam it out. But um, but yes. Typically, and this, it's even interesting that I even have this knowledge just because I come from the recording background originally. You will master spe- like four vinyl uh, or four, and you do do a separate master for radio, and you do a separate master for, oh, for streaming for digital. Hmm. Do they still make all the different masters? Yeah, I mean, to most people, probably not because they don't feel like paying for it. <laughs> so the people are like, like should they and are they? Yes. Yeah. You know? It's fascinating. Yeah. And then vinyl, I guess what's what's the best hardware? Did I, I understood CDs were very high quality, but it just didn't last long. I mean how does how does the, the quality of the hardware technically I guess that's that would be software, right? Well, I mean it's all digital. It's just a medium. Okay. So like a a laser I assume would be more precise than uh needle right no or how does that work no because a properly pressed vinyl is basically cutting grooves in a waveform and just reading that waveform okay so there's no breaks between where that needle is going in digital you have ones and zeros and so if you have a okay. uh, i should grab your whiteboard here if you, <laughs> if you have you basically have a waveform right so say it's like a an s sideways right yeah and in analog, you have the full thing. In digital, you're sampling uh, like 44.1 is so 44,100 little samples I'm taking of that waveform per second. Hmm. So something has to connect the dots between it. And then the bit depth is is the vertical axis of that. So 16 bit is I'm only grabbing 16 different dynamic points on that 44.1 or 24 or 32 so it's a resolution okay it's like it's it's totally resolution because like 
you're not just like film um like frames per second yeah frames per second and then like getting converted which now it's really cool like if you watch top gun and digital remaster it's phenomenal but like that's because it was originally shot in analog film so the original source is great and that ties back to having a room that sounds good first yeah you know yeah. and then adding the electronics good, and good yeah exactly and um so that's kind of so connecting those dots, and there's a whole other thing to it, too, which comes a word clock and keeping everything on time, and you get this jitter, which it used to be like in bad digital stuff, especially in the early streaming days, you get that, you know, stuff. Yeah. Because it would lose track and start slipping and sounding weird. Um, but, yeah, but streaming came out, and it was so bad, especially like Napster days, that, like, CDs became, like, gold all of a sudden and sounded phenomenal, but, a, but nothing can substitute a well-set-up sound system and, like, a good needle at the turntable arm is a line dropping on a good press of vinyl because it's still analog. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, the first, well, one of the first, not the actual first recorded methods ever was Thomas Edison in the wax cylinder. Yeah. You know, similar concept, but it's literally just moving along the waveform. So it's actually the waveform, not representation of samples of little of it, you know, hmm. I built a phonograph in middle school Yeah, and, uh, it, it recorded, not well. It was like on <laughs> tin foil, I think. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> on a coffee can. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. But yeah, it did work. It uh, it connected some dots for me. Um, oh, all right, sure. and then, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Before the gratuity, one one last question. So Casper, the um, audio savant, told me he's like you. He's like you're running four ohm speakers, and you need eight ohm with this receiver. The hell is he talking about? He's talking about resistance. So in the hi-fi world. Sometimes, well, certain amplifiers are, are spec they handle certain certain amounts of resistance based on how their power supply is built and all this kind of stuff. But ohm is a measure of resistance, um, and it's the best way that was originally described to me when I was learning about it back in college. And um, is like you compare it to plumbing pipe size, right? So it's an electrical measurement. So voltage and wattage are all separate measurements. People say, oh, how many watts is your sound system? I'm like, it's 2020. Well, it's 2024 now, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I don't hear in watts. I hear in decibels. Yeah. So how is that even relevant? Right. You know? Um, how many watts am I buying? It's like, well, stuff is so much efficient now. I can put in one watt and get, like, a pretty loud output. Right. Um, but anyways, um, the resistance is – Um. The overall, usually a lot of times your speaker has a tweeter and a woofer. So it's mm-hmm. the accumulation of those two components through the cross or whatever. What's that resistance? So um, if I like some, like the headphones we're wearing, some really high-end studio headphones, really high resistance, like 32, 64 ohms. Is that a wider plumbing pipe or that's a, a smaller, smaller plumbing So that's pipe. your dental pick. Got it. Right? So it's super precise dental pick. Um, but it means that whatever is pushing that needs to actually send more power because it's so small you have to be able to send oh, that signal through there and push more. So it's more voltage. Okay. Now, when you're talking about headphones, it's a lot easier to do than when you're talking about speakers. So if you had a speaker that was 1632 ohms, the power supply like plugged into the wall that needed for electrical current through an amplifier circuit to um, an audio current that eventually turns into acoustical current that we hear, of course, a lot more. So, um, but in practical terms, um, for your hi-fi system, it is possible that that amp power supply was built around the concept of only using this specific resistance ohm speakers. 
Okay. Was it meant to be flexible? In the pro audio world, um, you typically can do eight ohms um, per channel or four ohms per channel, sometimes two ohms. Um, and But where it comes into play in commercial stuff, so if people are listening want to like understand a little bit more because they're going to put in their own sound system to borrow whatever, is if I have two eight-ohm speakers, it's simple math, I have a four-ohm low because I'm going to daisy-chain them together and then plug them in the amp. Got it. And some stuff we use, um, and some stuff we actually build, um, is 16 ohms. So I can actually put like four speakers together and still end up at the four ohm load, which is nice because if it makes sense for the room layout and the configuration, because it's obviously only one volume zone I have or one left or one right or whatever, um, I could put four on that one amp channel, which means I'm spending less on an amplifier, hypothetically. I got you. Um, so... And if you're doing it like a bigger place, lots of little speakers, like it makes sense and it saves a ton of money. It's a smart thing to do if if you can still get the control you want, right? Um, so higher ohms on an on an amp enables more speakers. Generally, it depends. Uh, it'll it'll, it'll say like I, I eight ohms, four ohms, and two ohms are rated. This a lot of amps, unless they're big ones, meant for subwoofers, aren't rated for two ohms because two typically a dual driver subwoofer, like a dual eighteen or dual whatever, will end up at four ohms, and sometimes you put two together. Um, but you just look at the specs. If it's not rated, yeah, I think it says on the back of the receiver. Yeah, like, what it's rated usually for. does, especially for consumer stuff because you know legal reasons. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you're operating without specifications. They don't have to worry about your warranty, right? So, um, but that's that's kind of the practical sense of that is like, yeah, I could put four eight ohm speakers together, be a two ohm load. Maybe the amp will survive, but eventually the power supply is just going to give up. It's like run your Honda like all the way at red line all the time trying to keep up with Porsches or something, you know? <laughs> um, so, um, you know, but that's the practical application of the resistance. And in a hi-fi world, you probably do want to match whatever it's specified for. Because if it's not written down, it's probably out of spec. And it can go the other way too. You can have too high of a resistance and and it can whack out the electronic system too. Because hmm. it's not. It and what would that sound like? Just it wasn't muted? intended for. No, it would eventually just destroy the components. Oh, okay. Like they would overheat or, or whatever. A plethora of things could happen, but it all comes from like, what's the power supply rated for? That's providing electrical voltage and converting it to whatever you're using acoustically. You know. Okay. And sometimes you can get away with it for a long time because music isn't like in a motor where it's just on. It's dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, well, I've been doing this forever. It's like, yeah, but what you. How your sound system and have volume for all this time, so you just got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> all right, now we're ready for the gratuity round. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. So, Matt, what's your death row meal? My death row meal? Uh, probably uh, Lomo Sotado. Peruvian dish. Yeah, okay. Lomo I don't sotado. know. What is it? Uh, it's, it's like... Uh, so, Peruvian food is 
little unique because there's a direct connection to Japan and they've had, and there's like third generation Japanese people there. I've never been to Japan hmm. um, from fishermen that came over way back in who knows when. Um, so a lot of the food is what we would today call fusion, but it's just the way Peruvian food has been. So it's a steak, there's steak, like strip steak with almost like soy sauce sort of seasoning. There's usually people do it different ways with different kinds of potatoes, but there's a potato starch in it. Like, uh, um, I really like tantas. That's one of my favorite, even from being going to Peru. Um, and they're actually that they have tanta in Peru as well, but, um, and it's like fresh tomatoes and then like, um, um, some like kind of like stir, like uh, fajita type vegetables you would think yeah yeah with like a gray like not thick but gray sort of like soy gravy sauce in it and uh, nice. yeah it's just awesome I think I'm that, down for that that's, that's great yeah that would be uh, probably my meal what is your favorite hidden gem restaurant favorite hidden gem restaurant probably easier to answer cocktail bar but. Um, you can do favorite, I'd take that. Favorite yeah. hidden cocktail bar, I guess. Does, does that have to exist anymore? No. No, it could be. Operation Dagger in Singapore. Wow. It um it was yeah. like in this alley. Didn't even have anything that the technically the name wasn't written anywhere. It was like this weird crown logo. And um they didn't serve any brands of any alcohol. They made everything. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And you go in and nothing was labeled on the wall. Like you got the you got the you got the cocktail list, but it was like flavor profiles. Like one tastes like white chocolate. It was wild, <laughs> but that place was like a probably my favorite kind of like thing for that. For a restaurant, I got a. Hmm. How'd you hear about this place? Um, I was doing a nightclub in Singapore, and every time I travel, I'm like, especially if I like. Sometimes I'm in long sits by myself, and like in the mornings, and like a lot of times on international trips, I'm like hurry up and wait for the contractor to do this, that, and the other. So I have some free time, and I travel. My wife and I and my family travel a lot for fun too. But I always find the best coffee shops because I found if you find like the coolest coffee um, shops, then you're probably in an arts district. And you probably find other cool stuff and people and stuff like that. And then at night, obviously, it's the inverse for cocktail. Now these days, it's a lot easier. You just look at the World Fifty list. <laughs> yeah. And if you go to one and you talk to a bartender, yeah, they'll talk. Yeah, right. Which is the they'll gatekeeper and was their real job from day one. Yeah. <laughs> to be the information keeper and secret keeper, right? Then you just follow that pattern. You're, you're gonna have a good night, right? So I, I think that I think Operation Dagger might have been on World's Fifty list or something like that at the okay. time, you know. Yeah, um, Singapore is an amazing bar scene, but hidden place not about hidden but newer and probably slept on a little bit is um, just went last night and uh, doesn't have one of our sound system yet, but will. <laughs> but I went to Safer. Oh yeah, yeah. With um, Chef Sahil he used to be a chef at Rue. Right, oh, cool. We know Chef Sahil. Yeah, we do the to, uniforms. Yeah, um, and yeah, he couldn't do Andawega. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my amazing, amazing, amazing spot. Yeah, that's you great. Know. Good one. Favorite fast food? Hey, you got a two-year-old. Man. No, he eats everything, man. I was just telling a story about how, like, one of the owners at – we took him to Formula One races. One of the owners of um, Coat mm. came up and was like, would you like a caviar bump? <laughs> to my one-year-old, and he loved it. I was like, oh, great. But uh, um, since we travel a lot in hospitality, my wife's an ambassador um, for um, – a liquor company, like, or brand, I should say, for a supplier. Um, you know, we go to a lot of nice restaurants and stuff, and it's kind of in our thing, so we drag them along everywhere. That's awesome. Um, so, but fast food, man. I... Back in the poor band days, come on. What were you eating? Oh, God, I was eating, uh, was that pizza place <laughs> near Security Street? No, Bocce's oh. Pizza. Oh, Bocce, the $5 pizza special. Yeah, if I had that like... now, I'd probably be done for a couple of days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
there's still there's still is a there's one down the street from our shop yeah yeah because yeah. we're over in fort knox studios i guess like i don't know raisin cane's chicken fingers of sauce are pretty good yeah my cousin rachel is a big fan yeah i still haven't had it i've heard it's pretty solid heard you're gonna have things. it there it's come up on the pod before yeah yeah it's pretty pretty solid and, and um you know so simple i think in the beginning i think like most people like in and out burger first like five times you have it, and then after that you're just like I'm good. Yeah, I'm good on In and Out for probably the rest of my life. I could eat it infinitely. I guess technically, if 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 it qualifies as fast food, small small. Yeah, I think when they have the drive through, yeah. I think then it will qualify. Right. Which uh, should be it's soon. coming soon. Yeah. All right. Uh, what is the next? If you had to predict the next hospitality audio trend, ooh, um, the next one. I mean, everybody's kind of a little bit of this and that, but I think that. I think some people are going to get more bold and we've been fortunate enough to do some of these places and have like them be more of a statement piece. Aesthetically, you, know? you mean? Aesthetically. Yeah. Like big. Yeah. You know, wall of sound. Like, yeah. Wall of sound. Um, What's the setup at uh, Charleston? They've got something kind of big. You know that bar on Charleston up in Bucktown? I don't think I've been there. Oh, know. it's the owner. The guy who owns it is a lawyer, but also owns Decibel and owns oh, Charleston. Okay. Um, but they have like uh, it, they have like their own like mini wall of sound situation going on. I went to a bar in Dubai that actually well they have one out of in um oh, what's it called it's like a Jamaican sound system style bar. Actually, it's out of Brooklyn. I mean, nothing in Dubai is original in Dubai. They just import yeah. the concept <laughs> and pay them to do it or whatever. However that works, um, <laughs> it was great because it was like literally the bar, and then the back was like seats and they had like Jamaican food and jerk chicken and all that stuff. But they had literally a, a wall of sound, but actually like working, mm. like reggae sound system. That's cool. But built into the place. And I thought that was super cool. I mean, that's a bit extreme, but you look at like, if you like when Radio Nago existed, like, yeah. um, you know, I think you'll see some more of that. But, you know, that exists in like this Miami Vegas thing where it's like their hybrid nightclub slash uh, restaurants and the kind of term of night, but I think it'll be like without the turning all the way up thing, you know? Mm. Um, I mean, we've done stuff like that, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, constantly people want us to hide everything and we do our best, but we're not willing to sacrifice overall audio experience. You know, if you just want to like put ceiling speakers and home flush mounted speakers in the walls and stuff, they're shooting over your head in the first place. Like, Go for it. We're not the people to do that. You know, yeah. it's not really a great approach. So, yeah, I think it's just, I think, I think that what I hope the real new trend is, is just put a little bit more focus on acoustics. Yeah. You right. know, set yourself up for success. Exactly. Um, this is a two part question. What's your home setup and what's your auto setup? Well, I have a, I drive a Tesla, which sounds pretty great. I'm not going to touch electronics in that vehicle. What kind of what kind of uh, speakers do they have in those? Uh, the Model Y. They're probably all custom OEM stuff. Mm. But I remember, um, I mean, it sounds great. It's very well tuned. I remember I got a software update one day for the sound system, and I could tell that it was just a tuning difference. I mean, it clearly didn't change any components in my car. Yeah. <laughs> they just got someone to make a better tuning and timeline for the car. And there's a lot of crazy active stuff going on in that system, too. But I think it's great. And then, again, that's the case of, like, they're really invested in, like, setting up the right way. And then they did it again and just did it over their software update. Home's tough right now because I just I just sold my home in Skokie and moved to Dallas to set up this new office. Um, so I don't really have much there. Um, mm-hmm. But except we're in, like, a high-res apartment building. But um, in 
in my house we did i did a focali and wall system because i kind of remodeled the whole house gutted a small you know 1950s ranch style home and did 7.1 ceiling stuff and it was open concept it was kind of in the kitchen too um but as a focal system did it stay with the house yeah the of course the people that took it wanted to buy i left the tv the receiver they bought it all for me on the set like that's after cool the fact that was like great for me that's stuff to move yeah. yeah um but you know i have a small accumulation of smaller meyer speakers that i love to use too which is super like i guess bougie or whatever but <laughs> what what makes a tube amp special or expensive why are tube amps so expensive it's just because they don't make the yeah. tubes anymore killing with the hi-fi questions yeah sorry this, <laughs> uh, this was an ad hoc one just because i'm curious no i mean i have a tube tattooed on my arm but um that's <laughs> the right guy <laughs> yeah i don't know i mean well there's power tubes and preamp tubes okay so power tubes instead of integrated circuits are basically helping make it loud it's the really simplest way i can put it but the way they're doing that is different than um solid state so it gets warmer has more tonality. Same with the preamp tube. That's like the input signal, like your CD, uh, phono player, laser disc, whatever you're into, (laughs) is hitting that. And the thing about tubes and different types of tubes and how you apply voltage to the tubes, they have huge tonal ranges. So they really add a lot of character. So they're way more nuanced than solid state is the short answer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You can't like, like the whole idea of putting a tube receiver in a bar or whatever. I mean, yeah, it looks great, but like, they're not meant to be on all the time. Yeah, okay. They eventually, like, they don't just, they're kind of like LEDs that get dimmer. They don't just break. Sometimes they they um, start having harmonic distortion. And if you play real real loud, because you see a little film in there, it'll actually reverberate in there. So it looks cool, but it's not necessarily the best yeah, solution not the, not for practical. those things, you know? But yeah, it's really like a lot of different kinds of tones, just like a tube guitar head. That's why, like, certain Marshall heads have, you actually change the tubes in and make them sound totally different. Hmm. Um so yeah, it's totally like a coloration. And I think that's what's fun about some hi-fi stuff, especially the older stuff and tube stuff, is you play around with all that stuff. Because I've seen, what I've seen a lot is like people say, oh, I want this like, try not to name any brands and be nice about it all, but <laughs> oh, I want this big nightclub sound system in my club, you know, and I got these speakers and they're purple, whatever. And that's what everybody's using. And I'm like, okay, great. He's like, yeah, but we came in a really good deal. I'm like, okay, well, but what you're powering with that's just one part of the system yeah like it's like me buying a a porsche you know i don't know boxer and putting a gt3 tag on it (laughs) saying i got a gt3 (laughs) you know like it's not reality um and your system is only as good as the weakest component and that's something i've brought with me ever since the studio days to the install world um and um so if your amplifiers aren't good what are you doing right um but it's but in the hi-fi role it's a lot of fun because you can the amplifier will make a huge impact on the way that same as xp or sounds mm-hmm. um, in a pro world you want something that's kind of agnostic so it's like transparent and you can tune it and play with it and make it a little more busy because it's a nightclub or whatever you're looking for um but you have that control versus swapping out whole entire physical components. But I think that's why these people have this accumulation of gear. They're constantly playing with stuff mm-hmm. and discovering new different tones and sounds they like and all this kind of stuff, you know? Yeah, and they're always relegated to their basements. Their wives are like, get it out of here. Uh, all right, another high fi I'm just kidding. Uh, what is your least favorite food? Least favorite? Seem like a seasoned eater. Yeah, World I eat a lot of stuff. I... um. 
I'm not totally stoked about like a lot of super mackerel fishy stuff. Okay. I love fish. I eat raw fish, all sorts of stuff. Um, and I kind of like wish I was more into because the times I do go to Asia and some of that stuff, like, like I want to enjoy everything, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I remember it was a street market in Taipei once and I got this little thing that looked like a little cornbread muffler or something that clearly had octo- like baby octopus tentacles sticking out. And the whole market stopped to watch me bite into this thing. Because I'll be adventure. I'll try whatever. It was the full thing and the whole head exploded in my mouth and stuff. And they're like, what do you think? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> but... um. For a while, it was anything with hoisin because I start my first trip to China. I stayed in the spice market where I found out later is where the bird food broke out or something. So I don't know what kind of fish oh, that was. I didn't really know where it was. It was some hotel there. And it was so strong of hoisin cell because they literally sold spices around there. So I was like in the water supply. You took a shower, smelled like it. And so for like five years after, I just couldn't have anything. I'm over it now. You know? <laughs> I can have no, hoisin, whatever. Isn't. But like for a while, it was just like. That was going to be our gift to you for coming on the pod. Yeah, a bottle of hoisin. <laughs> uh, all right. What's your favorite cocktail? Um, Mezcal Last Word. Ooh, That's great. Love that. Very nice. Didn't even have to think about it. Yeah, no. Perfect. Follow-up question, Danny? You got it. None. All right. Um, what is one thing that's always in your fridge at home? Kind of, we, this might be the last time yeah, we ask this yeah. question. This thing sucks. You don't have to answer that. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well... <laughs> Does that be a fridge or could be a pantry? Sure, let's go pantry. I think there's a different way to phrase it, like a distinctive component. Not yeah, like, like what's a, what's a maybe like, unexpected well, thing you're like, always... Always mustard. Is always, yeah. You know. yeah. Sofrito is the answer. Yeah, that's a good... Sofrito. I think something like unexpected. Yeah, I'm always Puerto Rican and like... We don't have a house if there's not Sofrito in it. Okay. That is a good. All right. So how are we rephrasing it? I it's think just a, something unexpected. That's something unexpected in your fridge or pantry. Yeah. A mandatory unexpected item. In I your like fridge. that. Do you have an answer? Um, well, wait, know, for a while. Episode. Yeah. It used to be like coconut water or something. That's kind of. Oh, like, you freak. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, Wild about head. All right. So let me ask you guys a question. <laughs> sure. What's your favorite experience and i don't i don't not a person like to have total favorites of things but the first thing that comes to mind for your best audio uh experience related to hospitality or maybe a live concert and why Hmm. besides the mushrooms or whatever i did did. for concert for me drug free it was when uh like tribe called quest had a reunion tour um the first the first reunion tour um i was in college and i drove down to atlanta to see them that was like a, just a meaningful concert experience for me. Yeah. I don't okay. have a hospi- of all time. I don't have a hospitality one, but um, one concert experience that kind of stands out was uh, I saw the Beastie Boys at the United Center in college. Uh, our, our, my college bought a bunch of tickets, and so it was like first come, first serve. They had like 100 tickets or something, and uh, a bunch of my friends and I went, and uh, they – the opening act was like a dog show, like dancing <laughs> dogs that were doing like jumping through hoops and stuff, <laughs> and, like oh, walking, man. walking wow. tight ropes, which is really odd. Well, they figure everybody's like blaze. <laughs> yeah. It's perfect. And then, uh, it's probably incredible. Talib Kweli did a set. Oh yeah. Talib Kweli has been great. Yeah. And then, um, they, they showed on the big screen, um, 
a guy like serving drinks at one of the concession stands and they showed him serving like maybe five customers. And then the, the <laughs> camera followed him and he walked all the way out, like through all the crowds into the, uh, up on the stage. And it was mixed master Mike. And he got up on stage and started mixing. Oh, that's fun. It was very cool. That was a very memorable. It's very like um, halftime basketball game moment. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's really <laughs> so, got their inspiration for that stuff. I'm trying to think of like a physical, like a hospitality related music. Well, like I said, like I think it's where you aren't paying attention. I think you're more likely to remember the bad ones, you know? Yeah, I think like Bacchanal in New Orleans, just live music. Oh, dude, after Tales, like yeah. chilling out. Bar- it's, it's like one of the best times ever. What is Tales? I want to go. Tales is like a, a... You should go. A beverage profession. No, I know what it is. I said, Good. when is it? Oh, when is it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, July. It's, yeah. It's, July? May so 10th of July. So he's around on my... Well, he's two now. He's been to every tell since it started back from COVID, but it's, yeah, his birthday is July 29th and it's, it was like the 22nd. It's around, yeah. it's like the week yeah. before that. So yeah. we just t- keep telling him that like everybody's there for his birthday. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> he, a great birthday. Friend. Yeah. It's pretty um, fun. Does he wear a headset at the show? Or like, uh, any well, sort it's, of protective it's, it's stuff like, or? it's, you know, funny. I finally found a good analogy. It's like South by Southwest where it takes over the whole town. There's activations yeah. everywhere and all the brands take over all the bars. Um, but then there's tons of ed- education elements. I actually did a seminar there called the sound of hospitality. Um, and I submitted to do a couple more next year talking well, cool. about a little bit of stuff we're talking about. And kind Is of, that recorded anywhere where people could watch it? No. Um, I did a podcast with uh New Orleans cocktail show that you could find. Um, but um, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great event. In fact, I'm trying to figure out a good activation that makes sense for us to get involved with. That's not just a raging wild party. You're not going to remember. Exactly. That is the hard part. Yeah. Um, but it's a good time. But at the end of it all, and I don't know if this is when you went there or just in general you went there. Yeah. Um, I've been, yeah, many times. But. Yeah. Everybody takes off their, I work for this brand or own this bar hat and all goes to Bacchanal, right? Um which is basically a lawn in someone's backyard yeah, and awesome. a house that they converted into a wine and cheese shop, but it's retail. Yeah. Yeah, you take out your cheeses and wine and then they just serve, they like kind of they plate it for you. Yeah. And then it's and then just an amazing. You go there and there's no, it's only wine. So you're not there to pitch your brand, talk about brands, anything. Right. There's no kids or whatever. Um, and you just sit in the, in these tables or on the ground or whatever. And there's always some dope jazz band and it's pretty much always so acoustic. Perfect. Yeah. And it's just a, an amazing experience for sure. All right, I'm going to go. Yeah, you got to do it. And you can go there whenever. This place is open all the time. It's just for the industry, it's a special moment at the end. No, I'm going for tails. (laughs) (laughs) All right, actually, so my next question for you was uh, favorite band or musician. Could you pick one? No, I couldn't pick one, man. At the moment, what are you listening to right now? Ooh. Um, I've been listening well actually for a while now. I've been a lot of, listening to a lot of uh well I've listened to for years a lot of like uh, South African uh techno and house. And then I started going a little bit more mainstream, like Burna Boy and and well not collaborates with them all, but British rap like Stormzy and stuff and that grime stuff. Um so I think I'm beginning to that a lot and just digging into like a lot of different like artists doing um I've always been fascinated by the percussion rhythms and stuff of, and the guitar like licks of like South African music. Mm-hmm. Um, and down there, like it's like you go to a street corner and they're not bumping rap, they're bumping house music. Yeah. Hmm. That's like the hood shit, you know? And it's yeah. a pretty cool experience, you know? Like I, 
I've been fortunate enough to work with Black Coffee way back in the day and a bunch of doing parties in Miami. And um, yes, yeah, so I think uh, it's been a lot of that kind of stuff lately, but I'm all over the place. I'm a historically big metalhead. I used to play death metal band and tour. And, uh, but I'll, I'm, I'm all over. But I think right now I've just been really on that, a lot of the South African mainstream and underground stuff. That's cool. Uh, favorite movie? Oh, I don't know, man. Sound of music? Is that too on the nose? No. (laughs) So I answer this question to the same question and answer asked you guys, which kind of sort of sort of answers it. But one of my favorite concerts I've ever been to, which again being like metalhead and throwing Mike D and all kind of stuff, like was at Hans Zimmer live. (laughs) Yeah, where was that? It was at. was American Airlines Arena, um, and it was during Lollapalooza, so it was like, get away from downtown. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, he's touring again, uh, usually mostly in Europe, but he'll come here soon, I think. Um, but I love I love his work. I love the depth of his music. Um, I was just actually listening to um, the latest. He did the last James Bond soundtrack. Oh, okay. Which is really cool. Um Maybe I did know that actually. Have you seen the new Bond? I think I have. I know you have, right? What is the last one? Is it? It's yeah, it's been a while now. Not, it's not Quantum Soft. It's like um, something with Diana Tyler. We're not going to look it up for Rob Lapata. We will <laughs> yeah. not pause the pod for that. Yeah. No, people are going to be more, more, you idiots. How can you like this stuff and not remember? Uh, good time to die or something like that. I forget. Yeah, we'll figure Oh, that does sound right. Uh, Billy Eilish did the song, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right. And then here's our last question. If you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? Yeah, No Time to Die was it. No Time yeah. to Die. Okay, there you go. Um, if I wasn't doing this, what would I be doing? Like if I had to stop this now or I never got into this in the first place? Hmm. Oh, I guess that's a good, up good question. To, yeah, I guess it's up to you that's how you want to I think to if you had to stop this now. If I had to stop this now. Well, before or maybe you, maybe a fun exercise is if you sold the business and money wasn't an object. Hotelier. Yeah? Uh-huh. Where I would, would you love your first hotel boutique. Totally, yeah. I mean, just one room. <laughs> it's my room. Yeah. <laughs> you can't come, <laughs> but it's All on Airbnb. Yeah. Hundred million dollars at night. Yeah. I'm listed. You just can never stay there. Yeah, it's just booked. Super yeah. expensive. 100%. No, um, I mean, some of my favorite projects have been like boutique places, and um, I was it like two years ago now. Um, Dana Alonzo, Beanick, and all that. Um, you know, we talked and finally found an opportunity to work together. Because last time I had worked with him was a LaSalle Power Company way back in the day. Oh, man. I've like, heard that man. a long time. Yeah, I was like, man, I respect, like, what you're doing. Like, let's reconnect. And we kind of, like, sync back up again. And it just happened to be um, in Bamboo Coquette we worked on over here. Um, but at the same time, he was like, yeah, I'm doing uh, Casa Beanick. I bought one of my suppliers in Santiago de Compostela, which is a part, part yeah. of Spain. Super That's fruity. I studied part. abroad. Just so, really? You know, yeah, it's a very Day strange. Again, but slower. Santiago de, Santiago de Compostela. Mm. It's the most Catholic city. It's where the pilgrimage ends. And it's like the northwestern part of Spain. Yeah. So people would do a pilgrimage from like basically France all the way across the top of Spain and end in Santiago de Compostela, which wow. is in Galicia. Galicia. Yeah, yeah, Galicia. Right. Exactly. Where Alberina is from. And all but it's like and... one of those food crazy. Yeah. I mean, you can go to Michelin and start a restaurant and spend like 
20, 30 bucks. Yeah, it's, but it's, it drives two hours south of Porto. You can have a great experience, but it's going to be more standard yeah. European prices. What Where do you fly into? Um, well, so you basically like will fly into like you know Madrid or Barcelona, and then fly into like A Coruña or something like. I forget. You go to Madrid. Uh, from here, go to Madrid or Lisbon, maybe, and then fly. Sh- There's a big airport there. Yeah, well, it's not oh, big, yeah. but so it's, it's nice. It was nice to Santiago Compostela. Yeah, um, but if you fly into Porto, I love Porto. It's only a two hour drive. You can go up the coast and. Explore explore that but um but if you've been to beat nick and see you know dan he he's a danny's a phenomenal interior designer I mean, he does all his own stuff mm-hmm. he's uh you know his there's a style is not there's nothing like it right um but he's an operator too so he gets it all and he bought this um uh, his supplier in that area which he's actually his family's from that area of spain um and so he kind of grew up there and in detroit and in there's a business here and um yeah, and I just happened to sing to him. He's like, "Oh, I'm doing this," and I, I happened to be going to Spain, like at the same time. I was like, "I'll just pop. I'll see an extra day and just pop over there." And like, I would love to work on this project. And it's like a twelve room house. It's only twelve rooms. They added some cool glamping and some uh, Swedish spa yurts, and brought this giant olive, olive tree and put it in. But <laughs> and you know, kind of. Dan Alonzo, the whole thing, and and it's beautiful. There's two great restaurant concepts in there, but it's an amazing experience, and it's a small vineyard too. Um, and they make they press the grapes, there, everything. Um, and um, there's so what we did is like, of course, the restaurants have good sound. There's a couple of cool DJ booths and all that. Um, but walking through the vineyard, we actually put speakers. So as you walk through the vineyard, oh, there's that cool. music, and there's this. Uh, I want, it's not They're really like uh, grapes. Yeah, like grapes on vines. Can't even say never yeah. berries. <laughs> Anyways, um, um, so this is where on his Instagram, this is all. This must be the beautiful location he's always. Yeah, in. Okay. the big pink yeah, yeah. thing, and 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 there's a fire pit there that you step down, and this is probably one of my favorite places on this planet. Is sitting in that fire pit because behind it is a bunch of vegetation that we um, hit some like outdoor like hi-fi speakers in. We buried a subwoofer that has like a tube coming out of the ground. It's like a little mushroom top. You can't even see it. Whoa. It was a full hi-fi, full range experience at the campfire, watching the Spanish sunset, oh which you've God. seen out there. Yeah, and it's just like, man, like that's like, yeah, that's you're incredible. Come up with ideas, reinvent your whole life there. You know? Like, it's, yeah. But I, I think that if I were to stop this and, you know. Money wasn't an object that would do something like that. Create those experiences. Oh, that's yeah, cool. yeah, I love it. I, I don't think I'd enjoy doing that kind of stuff in my own mansion that I could keep to myself. I don't know how much fun that would be. No, yeah. yeah. You know? Makes sense. All right, well, so that's our last question. That's a wrap. Thanks so yeah. much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, yeah. And that concludes our conversation with Matt Edgar of Pineapple Audio. This episode was produced by Matt Haddock, music by Captain Cuts, and as always, the real work was done by the one and only Joe Guzzo III. Thanks for listening. And also, while I have your attention, drop us a review. What are you waiting for? <laughs> right? <laughs> it's been too long. Yeah. If, have you dropped a review? Yeah, let us know how you feel. Drop one on, if it's and positive. If it's positive, yeah. <laughs> if it's positive, drop it on multiple platforms. Yeah, if it's negative, keep it to yourself. If it's negative, no. If it's negative, bring it to us. Yeah, directly to the source. Yeah, text Danny. Yep. Um, Here's his number. <laughs> on the topic of text, I've gotten a lot of people texting me 
their own tyranny splits, actually. Wow. Yeah, I think it's huh. catching on. But I do need to make one clarification on the tyranny split. The tyranny split is when two people agree and it's like mutual consent to split two items. Usually one person nominates one, the other person nominates the other, yep. they agree. And then you share both. You don't have to shake hands, you don't have to do any of that, but you agree. Yes, pinky swear. And then you split them. I like to have it split in the kitchen where they have the sharp oh, knives. interesting. Shannon says, don't ask, you're being a pain in the butt. But I still ask, and then she yeah, says, Shannon's you like don't have me to do in that, that sense. I would just yeah, but I do preface it with like, if this is a pain in the butt, don't do it. I'm like, if the chef makes a funny face, forget about it. But it is easier to have them split it and <laughs> play it. Like, if chef makes a funny face, dig your heels in, <laughs> yeah. and keep arguing. go to bat for me. Yeah. I'm counting on <laughs> <Yeah>. you. Exactly, <laughs> your, your tip fully depends, depends on it. it. <laughs> um, but one thing I do want to clarify: there is no three-way tyranny split. Because once the tyranny split is so you specifically can't, you can't two, do thirds, you can't do thirds. We did a meal. Wow. We ate at uh, Mart Anthony with my dad and Ann and Liz and Brian, Shannon, um, before Christmas, and we did a three-way split. But it was not. It's too messy. That's entering family style. Mm. The tyranny split stops it too. Yeah. So anyway. All right. Sounds good. Now Thank, we know. <laughs> thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>